2: And after the Reds' disappointing start to the season continued with another draw at Anfield on Monday, on this week's pod we look ahead to a game against an opponent the Reds beat 9-0 on aggregate last season, as we preview their trip to Old Trafford on Monday evening to take on a rattled-looking United side. Joining me on the pod this week to discuss the continuing dysfunction at the club and the dreadful start to the season by Eric Ten Hag's side, we welcome on writer for the Busby Babe and SB Nation, Paulie Questel. Welcome, Paulie.
0: Hi. Okay. Pleasure to be here.
2: Yeah, no, it's good to speak with you. Um, always, I think whenever this fixture comes around, uh, we've had sort of a long a long line of um, guests come on the show to discuss or, or, or give us their view on the United perspective. Uh, and it, it, it always feels like there's uh, a myriad of different things that we can talk about. Uh, and to be honest, over the past few years, certainly perhaps even longer than that, it's it's been quite a dysfunctional, uh, sort of seen to be uh d- digging into. Uh, no different this season, of course, as we'll get into in a second. But before we get into this season, I just wanted to ask you, because I spoke to Carl Anker a couple uh, weeks ago for a pre-season pod, uh, pre-season version of this rival recon pod that we do. And we're just asking him about his expectations prior to a ball being kicked at the start of the season. So I want to ask you just a couple of questions um, like that. First of all, f- what was your sort of... um Opinion on the appointment of Eric Ten Hag as the as the new as the new United boss. Um, what did you see as sort of the the, the biggest obstacles he would have to uh, you know tackle? And then thirdly, I guess um, after preseason finished, what were your sort of expectations for uh, what United would would do this season?
0: Yeah, I was I was happy with the Eric Ten Hag appointment. I he's very highly rated. He plays a good style of football. Um, I don't watch a lot of Dutch football, so I didn't have an extreme opinion on him one way or the other. I spoke to people that do. And the prevailing theme around that was this is going to be a good hire. So I had no reason to doubt that. The other side of it was Mauricio Pochettino, whom I wanted the club to hire in 2019. And in 2022, I was unsure. Um, I was always skeptical about how much different he would be. Um, so I, I had no issues with the appointment of Ten Hag. But I, I did have my, my one reservation was that I thought he was being a little, it's possible that he's being a little overrated. Um, he is coming from a smaller league. And he's had success everywhere he's gone, and that's great. There is a difference between managing a team in Holland with, comparative to the rest of the league, the largest amount of resources, to now managing a team like Manchester United, one of the three biggest global teams in the world where everything you do and everything you say is going to be scrutinized. And he's unproven at that. That doesn't mean he can't handle it, or that he won't handle it. It just means we don't know. And that was something. Just the the small reservation there. What his what he's going to have to deal with is is. I never thought this would be an easy job, and I never thought any manager this season would be would be air quotes successful, because this is such an heavily unbalanced squad and it has problems right in the heart of it it, mm. it the midfield is is the engine of your car and if you don't have that proper engine it doesn't matter what parts you've upgraded anything else on the car that the tires the driver the steering if the engine doesn't work properly none of the other things are going to work properly and this is a club that has neglected midfield for years, and it it didn't have a good one. And... It's
2: really interesting to hear you say that, actually, Paula because I think it's 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 funny. I mean, obviously, sort of they're in different, very different situations at the moment, but it feels like that has been the uh, the this transfer window's focus for for Liverpool fans online as well. People talking about is the engine up to scratch when it comes to Liverpool? Is the engine getting on a little bit? Things like that, and it, it must feel like a real privilege position to say that from a Liverpool a Liverpool fan's perspective given what's happened over the past few seasons um when when you contrast it with some of the struggles that United have had in midfield certainly but just that point that you mentioned a, a little bit earlier around you know you would have anybody would have come in and you and you would have said um you know it's difficult to achieve success whatever that is I mean in in your view with all those you know uh, bits of context, like you're mentioning the unbalanced squad, the the dysfunction. I mean, what would you, what before a ball was kicked, what what would you have actually qualified as a successful season for for Eric ten Hag?
0: That's the most difficult question you could ask. I think at this point, the most minimum standard, if you if you ask a United fan, the most minimum standard for success is um a top four place and a trophy and that's not a standard that Manchester United fans want to live with we we you know we're old enough to remember that not too long ago uh finishing third and simply winning the FA Cup would not have been considered the best of seasons but times have changed and we want to get back there and in order to get back there you have to you know build your way build your way up i don't even think this team can get to that level. I don't, it, the trophies are much more difficult to win now. Uh, Manchester city. And last year, Liverpool had a, had a great run and were able to break it up. But, but city have dominated the domestic cups because they have such incredible squad depth. Like, people say, Oh, you can make a run in the league cup. You're good enough to do that. And it's like city dominate the league cup and city dominates the FA cup. And, and Liverpool winning the FA cup last year is, is a pretty pretty big deal and uh because city have such dominance that winning a trophy this year is your best shot is probably the Europa League and in in the league I don't think I think Chelsea are going to drop off from last season I think Tottenham are going to be good Arsenal are you know if if Gabriel Jesus takes them to the next level they're going to be a force I don't see United being much better if that than they were last year I think they're the sixth best team in the league I think if they get their affairs in order, they are considerably better than West Ham and don't need to worry about um, dropping too far uh, below six. But there's still massive weaknesses in the squad that the that the bottom can come out and they can drop. So with successful seasons, I would say, uh, certainly at this point now that we're two games in, it would be finishing in the European places or maybe you can you can make the argument to say that a successful season might actually be to finish 8th and sit right outside europe and next year have a full year of of only having to focus on domestic football more time on the training ground less less matches after a year that's going to be crazy because of the schedule and and the world cup and and the last two years in general that maybe having a year where you just play a little bit less football will actually be beneficial so perhaps that's the successful season but the fact that I'm throwing out so many different scenarios here each one justifying a little bit less success more than the next just shows what a mess this all is
2: absolutely I think you're talking about Eric Ten Hag see having Achieved success in the Eredivisie and you know, managing Ajax, and having yeah ha- having a pretty well established way of playing, a good reputation. But as you mentioned, I think that is it is one of these leagues that people still look at and think, well, can you really? You don't always get the the top hit rate when you transfer from the Eredivisie to the Premier League, whether you're a player, whether you're sort of coaches. That there's been there's been very few I, that I can think of just off top of my head, that have uh, you know, achieved real, real top success um, sort of going through that path. But um, yeah, it's, it's even more so than the challenge of competing in that league. You have to deal with all the unique issues that come along with managing a club that's as big as Man United and also a club that's going through as as public a sort of a, a existential crisis as United seems to have been over the past however many years now. But um, before we get into this season again, I just wanted to, uh, probably sort of the last point on uh, what you were thinking ahead of this, ahead of this campaign is, you know, you, you talked there about Eric Ten Hag coming in, you're feeling positive around the appointment, you know, a little bit of apprehension about you know, how he'd, he'd, he'd adapt to the task, some of the obstacles that are facing him. But at the end of last season, when you looked at that squad, you I mean, you already mentioned the engine room of midfield, but where were the the areas when you looked at that squad and go, okay, we, we this is where the money needs to be, um, you know, put this is what these are the areas that need to be prioritized. So what were the areas of the squad that you thought surely they're gonna actually address those this window?
0: I I thought that they would surely address midfield. Um they this team last season they had four midfielders in, in that if if you were gonna play four, two, three, one, um that's how I consider a midfielder is someone that would play in that too, not so much uh Someone that plays in the three, like Bruno Fernandez, is an attacking midfielder, not so much a midfielder. They had four. They had had Nemanja Matic, they had Paul Pogba, they had Scott McTominay, and they had Fred. And they lost two of them. And at the start of last season, everybody said, we have these four guys and it's not good enough. We need to get better. We need more coverage. We need more depth. It needs to be better. They did nothing. So now you've lost two. You needed to replace two. Just to get back to where you were, and from where you were was not good enough and I would say I would think that they would address that that matter, and they sort of did in that they signed Christian Erickson, who is thirty one and has a major elephant in the room in that he had a massive heart failure on the pitch just fourteen months ago, and we don't know how he'll hold up over the over the a full season. Um that's all they've done. And Christian Eriksen is an attacking midfielder. He's been that his whole career. He has played deeper at times but not a lot. I wouldn't classify him there. And even if you put him there, yeah. like he's not replacing what Paul Pogba did. Mm. And
2: as we saw, right, against Brentford, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's played there as a, he's, he's had an interesting start to his, his United career where he's played as a false nine uh, and as a, as a six getting pressed and harried across the pitch by uh,
0: exactly. uh, Brentford.
2: So like, yeah, I think I think you're right to highlight him there. I mean, you're, even as a Liverpool fan, looking at him from the outside in, I was like, surely, surely midfield is going to be the issue uh, that they address first. It's everyone has been talking about it, you, you know, whether you're a pundit, a rival fan, United fans themselves. So, I mean, obviously, we're talking on a day where it looks to be pretty certain now that um, one of the greatest sort of uh, um, in that number six role, in that defensive midfield role um, of, of certainly the last sort of generation is is, is going to be moving to United in Casemiro from Real Madrid. Uh, of course, this is Casemiro, you know, towards the end of his career and it's a slightly different thing that, uh, you know, perhaps to contend with and yet yeah, to be seen how he'll how he'll adapt um, to the Premier League and to this sort of specific system that he'll be he'll be played in. But uh, for me, I'm still stunned that we're we're only what I, I, only a couple of weeks away from the end of the window, and it's taken this long for the uh, for the midfield signing to be secured. And it almost feels like it's happened in response to you know these first two games. I mean, before we get into the games again, uh, I mean, I, 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 are you satisfied with um, with Casemiro?
0: Uh, no, <laughs> um, Casemiro, great player, one of the best, as you said. He's thirty years old, and we have enough data now to look at and see that when players are thirty, they, they very rarely continue to perform at, at the same level that they were the previous years. They their their legs start to go, they start to drop off, and. 50 million pounds of a transfer fee, very high wages. That's a lot to pay for someone who more likely than not in two years is not going to be the Casemiro that you're, you think you're signing. And then it becomes a, Oh, we need a new defensive midfielder, except we're paying a lot of money to Casemiro. This is a club that has financial issues. Um, They're, it wouldn't be beyond ownership to be like we could sign a new midfielder if you sell Casemiro except nobody's going to be coming for Casemiro the like the the well-run clubs just don't sign players like this this there's a few issues here in that one is he's not the same profile as any of the other midfielders we've been looking at two is this deal happened in about five minutes and as you said it's happened three weeks in almost three weeks into the season because he's he hasn't been one of our top targets. At, at this point, it just feels like everybody has said no, that United are like, who might say yes? Uh, oh, Casemiro, let's call Real Madrid and see if he wants to come. And, and it's more his availability rather than is he a fit for this team. And this deal happened in about five minutes because Real Madrid haven't been able to believe their luck that someone has called and offering them money for Casemiro, who they've already gone out and signed. His replacement because they were phasing him out anyway. And they're because they, they are like, we just won La Liga, we won the Champions League. If we want to stay at this level, we need to slowly transition the old guard out and bring in a new generation of players. They're ready to move on from him. The fact that someone now is offering them a, a lot of money, they're ecstatic. And what United never seemed to do is ask themselves this question when they're signing a player is what does that player do at his current club? What is that club asking him to do that makes him so good? And what are we going to be asking him to do? Are we going to be asking him to do the same thing? Will we put him in that position for success? Casemiro is the... The defensive aspect, he's the legs and the energy of that Real Madrid midfield. He plays next to two midfielders who are not very good. They are among the best in the world. Tony Cruz and Luka Modric, like, you, there's very few midfielders that are even on the same level as that. Barcelona don't have players like that. Uh, Liverpool don't have midfielders like that. Manchester City, maybe, like, but they have different types of midfielders. But, but there's almost nobody on the level of Luka Modric and Tony Cruz who could sit there and just ping passes all over the field the way that they can, which makes Casemiro's job easy. It's just win the ball back, get it to them, let them do their thing. You're not playing with anybody like that at Manchester United. And you wouldn't play like with anybody like that at, at any other club. So is he going to be able to be as successful there as at United as he was at Madrid? And if he's not successful, well then that's a lot of money that you now have tied up in this player who you very quickly from here on out need to replace. It, it just, it screams of desperation. Um, does it make us better right now? Yes, it does. Uh, and it's, it's an upgrade over what we had for sure. I just, I'm not sure how much better it makes us. I don't know how much it raises our ceiling. It's, it's, it's just, like I said, it, it reeks of, of desperation. And it's not the kind of move that a club who has a plan or has their, their affairs in order would make.
2: Yeah. I think that's the main thing to me, isn't it really? That I think, casemiro you can make arguments for you know for him coming and potentially adapting well you know, play, you know combining him with players alongside him. who oh yeah obviously not the quality of modric obviously not not, not, not the quality of tony cruz but you know can complement him can help him settle a bit easier but and he obviously at, at his best he's in, incredible you know so sort of having those interceptions at vital moments you know some of the screening work that he does he's He's very, very effective. I mean, he keeps he keeps Fabinho and has kept Fabinho out at the Brazil side for a um for a long while now. Um, and it's just remarkable how that midfield at Real Madrid has has sort of managed to to conquer others that you would just see on paper. Surely they're going to be dominating them. But yeah, I think you're right. He's he's been moved on at a time where Camavinga is there, Tuameni is there, uh yeah, perhaps the energy was starting to fade a little bit. That's why they had to bring in the likes of um Oh, the Uruguayan player Valverde, of course, um, at Real Madrid, who provides a little bit a little bit more energy in that midfield than Casemiro is able to give any any longer. So it's yeah, it's to me, which is a, another example. Um, not even of, of of desperation. I mean, obviously, sort of the, the the figures involved here apply a degree, you know, or suggest a degree of desperation. But it's it's more. I'm just staggered as a a fan, looking for, a, a Liverpool fan, obviously looking from the outside in, that. Yeah, Eric Den Hag was appointed last season, at the end of last season. They, they've known who has been coming. They've known his resume. They've known the style of football he likes to play. They've had all of preseason, And as as you mentioned yourself, the area where everyone knows is the key area of that team that needs to be upgraded, really, before you can build anything else. Obviously, maybe a goalkeeper as well, as we'll come on to talk about. But to not address that until two weeks till, uh, before the, the window ends, and then to get in a midfielder who's you know, quite clearly a short term option d- d- surely it just just speaks volumes for the lack of confidence that maybe ten hag has in the in the transfer setup at united and it's um again it's a, it's, it's it's another name it's, it's 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 not a it's it's not a piece of glorious scouting where you've plucked you've plucked someone from obscurity you've you've signed an eve Basuma before, uh like brighton did before anyone else d- discovered him or on ngolo kante or someone like that it's uh, yeah, this is a very well-known player. Um, I mean, did you think? I mean, perhaps I'm I'm sounding like I'm being patronising here, but did did you think when there was a, the you know, the announcement of a a director of football and John Mertug and you know some sort of suggestions that there was more infrastructure being put in place that um, yeah, are you at all surprised by how sort of um, there seems to be a lack of planning for this window? I mean, how 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 can that be the case when you you've appointed the manager? Yeah, months ago, and you you know you know exactly what you'd be after, surely. I
0: really wish I could say yes. It it just they the yeah, okay, Murtaugh came in and Fletcher and everything, but they, these were all internal hires that it was like in May that they said that there were long longtime scouts that were leaving. It, yeah, there was, yeah. There was turnover and it was very slow and And everything, but Olegonersolchar came in three years ago and said we need to change the way we do things. And you would think that somewhere the infrastructure was being built, and this summer it's it's very clear that there just is none, and and no clearer than the the fact that, like I said, Casemiro is just a different, completely different profile than everybody else that they've been linked with. So it's taken this long because they've been hung up on Frankie De Jong, who made it pretty clear at the beginning of this window, he didn't want to leave Barcelona. And Eric Ten Hag made it pretty clear. Frankie De Jong is my guy. I don't want anybody else. And that's where the infrastructure is completely lacking in that they didn't have alternatives. they need is you have to find the balance between getting what the manager wants and not having the manager be in total control because then, you know, like the team that we put out at Brentford had had players signed by like five different managers. And that's what happens when you just let managers sign whoever they want. Not most transfers don't work. It doesn't, you know, it becomes a mess. When Frankie Dion when Eric Ten Hogg wants Frankie Deo, you have to look at it and say, Okay, what is it that Frankie Dion wants, like that that Frankie Diong does that, that you want? Like what profile are you looking for? And then have a scouting department that can go and come up with alternatives to that profile. Um look, I'm talking to Liverpool fans. We all we all know the story that Jurgen Klopp wanted Julian Bryan and the club went to him and said, not gonna happen here's what you're trying to do here's this guy Mohamed salah he can do what you're looking for he's the guy that we can sign and i'm sure if you went on twitter uh, at the time people were sitting there going "Mohamed salah like the guy who failed at chelsea why are we signing this guy and it's like no you trust in the the you 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 put your trust in michael edwards because he clearly knew what he was doing and united just don't have that at all um they have, they have no alternatives to say, oh, hey, we can't get Frankie Diong. Here's a list of players we can get. Or what kind of profile are we looking for for any of the other positions that that Eric Ten Hog wants? And it, it, it just, the fact that they, uh, that Marco Arnautovic was like a serious consideration a week oh, yeah. ago for no reason other than like, Eric Tenhog worked with him ten years ago mm. and he's available now. Like that 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 can't be something that happens. You need yeah. to have a a department in place that can be like that works with the manager and says, uh, give me the profiles that we're looking for. You give me your top targets. We'll try to make that happen. But if not, we're gonna present you a list of five players that mm. are that are similar. Like uh, I forget I forget what his name is, but um, the left back that Liverpool signed last year.
2: Who, oh, Simikas. From nowhere, Simikas, yeah.
0: Yeah, who, who the heck is that? But <laughs> Jurgen Klopp went and said, we need a backup left back. You know, everybody on Twitter could have been like, hey, that's a good young left back. That's a good young left back. But Liverpool went to him and said, this is the left back that's most similar to Andy Robertson. So when Andy Robertson's not in, this guy will come in and the entire team will play exactly the same. Because he can, he is the most capable of doing what Robertson does. And look at that, he's the success. And like, where did he come from? The middle of nowhere. Like, that's what United need to build. Because until they do that, it's literally going to be mm. go through a roller decks, keep calling people up until you find, oh, Casemiro, you're available. Fine, we'll pay you. you pay. Yeah.
2: And the point that you made as well. I mean, sort of in in the absence of that structure, sometimes what you see and it can sometimes work as well, especially when new managers come in is. Yeah, you know, they go with what they know. You know, there's a there's a style they're looking to play and they know certain players from their, maybe their own, you know, the league they just come from. And they think, well, I know that these players can can satisfy the style that I want to try and implement, right? So you talk about the likes of Malasia, who's come in as a left back from Nord, obviously just 22 years old. And probably one of the more talked about signings, obviously, Lissandro Martinez, uh, 24 years old who's a centre-back coming in from Ajax you know Eric Tenhard played with him um, uh, sort of co- coached him at Ajax um, known for his sort of his technical ability on the ball certainly lots and lots and lots made about his his height and, uh, and we'll come on to talk about that I think it's a, a little bit reductive when you're doing that but again you do have to sort of uh, review you know, suitability to the league but uh, just before we move on a little bit but you were uh, talking about the sort of the, the positions that made the most sense to tackle we've we done midfield i think um one that seemed really obvious actually i mean perhaps it's only been after um, especially obvious after the past past two games uh, this season but i think most united fans were aware of it last season as well if you want to play uh, in a system where you're going to have a high line and you're going to need someone to sweep uh, from the goalkeeper position that David de Gea, even though he's been Player of the Season many, many times for United, and has performed miracles for United over the over the seasons, is not that player, right? And were you surprised that you know, Henderson was was allowed to go for the goalkeeper position, and then also nobody, seemingly nobody else, has been uh, targeted to come in and you know, give competition who actually would suit that uh, that style? I mean, w- w- was was that another position that you were looking at this summer and thinking, yeah, we actually we we could do with looking at goalkeeper?
0: yeah it it's baffling to be honest it's It's been obvious for a few years now um united have, the midfield is the problem and then they have expensive problems at the front and the back and all these problems is in the in in twenty twenty two football is literally a game where your team has to be a machine of eleven players working together, and any weak chain weak part of that machine is going to affect. The entire machine and and prevent you know other people from being able to do their jobs. I was once I read the story about Dean Henderson and how he said I arranged for a loan before I even met Eric Tenhog, I wasn't surprised they would let him go. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> I uh, didn't see that. But, I mean, he's mad and he has every right to be mad. Uh, he, look, Dean Henderson is has not been the utmost professional professional. He's the source of a lot of dressing room leaks. Um, He complained a lot um, two seasons ago when he was getting more opportunities than any number two goalkeeper uh, in the league get. He was playing in the Champions League. He was getting opportunities in the Premier League. He was still complaining about playing time and was like, yeah, David De Gea is not playing well and he's not but he's not playing catastrophically bad and when you're getting opportunities you're not playing so well that to make anybody be like wow we need to put this guy in in place of De Gea it is clear though that David De Gea does not fit modern football um, especially the way that Eric Ten Hag wants to play so it is baffling that they haven't even gone after just like a cheap goalkeeper that someone that you would think Oh, that's just a backup. Even if if he fits the style of play better than De Gea, that's an upgrade right now. And you could, if you spent five million pounds on a backup, who you say we're just going to let you play this year, and next year we're going to target a more long-term goalkeeper. That's fine. You you don't need to get a the David De Gea uh, Courtois Allison Ed, uh, Ederson um, level player right now. It so it, it really is astonishing, and and it comes from his wages. Yeah, he's making three hundred seventy five thousand pounds a week, which which comes from it, it all goes back to the Alexis Sanchez deal, like this, and this is comes back to how much of a mess recruitment at this at this club is. That at one point they said, "Oh, let's sign Alexis Sanchez." Why? I don't know. There's, there, what does Alexis Sanchez bring you that that team needed? I don't know. They gave him a ton of money. And all the while, David De Gea was having a historically good season at, where he was solely the, the reason that United finished second. And he went there afterwards and said, um, he went and said, why is Alexis making the most money on the team? I'm the most responsible for our success and the fact that we finished second. And he wasn't wrong. And it was a good argument. And United were afraid of losing him because back then, well, they played a different style of football under Mourinho. But also back then, football was slightly different. It's changed a lot in the last four years. That it, like De Gea was not as big of a liability back then. And they they caved and they gave him this new contract which has made him undrobable. You can't sit there and and have a 375,000 pound a week player sitting on your bench every week. It, it'd be a bad situation. He's been at the club 11 years. He's a big presence in the dressing room. He's very respected. It's, it, it's a difficult situation that the club just never really handled well. Um, and, Right. Of course, right after they give him that contract, football does start moving in a direction where you need your goalkeeper to be more agile, to to come off his line more. And it and post lockdown, it, it went, you know, exponentially more in that direction. Uh, the the line is not just a straight little thing. It's it's, it's like a it's a, a, a learning curve sort of thing where it just it just took off. Football is so different now than it was pre-COVID that. He's become a huge liability, but Dean Henderson, I get it. It's, it's baffling. Like he was supposed to be the number one keeper last season going into the season. And then he got COVID that that's really unfortunate. De Gea came in at the start of the season and actually played really well, made a bunch of massive saves that made it impossible to drop him. And by the time Things got really bad. It's it's a mystery to me why Ralph Ragnick never gave Dean Henderson a shot in the second half of the season yeah. when United weren't playing for anything. De Gea's form had already tailed off. It was like, why is this guy still in net? Let's see what Dean Henderson could do. He didn't. That pissed Henderson off and it, and it should have. And, and he was like, I'm getting my ass out of here and I don't blame him for that. Mm. The whole situation is baffling and, and, the theme of everything here is this could only happen to a club that just doesn't have any of its affairs in order and like this is the perfect firestorm of of everything happening to manchester united that they they deserve all of it because they run the club like a zoo
2: yeah no i i think it's i mean i mean there's i'm not i'm I'm not expecting you to have a you know, sort of finely tuned answers to some of these questions. I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, all of this is just evidence of a lack of infrastructure, a lack of genuine seriousness in terms of planning. Um, I mean, transfers often are incredibly revealing, especially when you, like you're saying, you compare and contrast them to clubs sort of a similar size budgets, you know, who are operating in a completely different world. I mean, we, talk about, you know, obviously Casemiro it looks like he's going to be coming through the door now, but yeah, at, at one point, a couple of weeks ago, it was Adrian Rabio and uh, there was uh, news a couple of days ago that there was an eighty million bid rejected for Anthony at Ajax, and then there's uh, your suggestions that maybe Christian Pulisic will come uh, coming on loan from Chelsea. It's, it's, it's completely scattergun um, and seems to be indicative of no real plan at all, so that's really quite shocking, especially when you think about the the fact that everybody seemed to know that there was there was this dysfunction, but that they knew what kind of manager was coming in. Um, so yeah, I I'm, I'm not going to dwell any longer on transfers. I'm going to get into the season. Not that it makes for for happier reading, but you know, two games in, two losses so far. That um, opening opening game um, sort of you know, being, I think it's fair to say in both games really, United have been outplayed um, and out um, out coached really by by sides who are you know even if they're inferior in terms of the quality that they have across the pitch um are complete uh, really really good examples of of sides that are um uh, well-run football clubs in terms of brighton who you know they know what they're doing the coach is clearly a you know, very well coached team with graham potter there they recruit for the players so they, they recruit for the style that they play they'd even lost basuma and they'd lost um uh, they lost Ben White the summer beforehand,
1: and uh,
0: Cookerello.
2: Cucarello, that's of course, yeah. Um So two key players are gone, and yet still they're able to go to Old Trafford and put in that performance. And then of course Brentford, you know, even yeah, t- talking small budgets here, but again, very analytical approach as to how they recruit, uh, and they you know, clearly you know, knew exactly how United wanted to play and targeted it ruthlessly. Um So I, mean, I just want to ask your your opinion. I mean, what did you? what do you make of those opening two games i mean i i imagine we'll we'll spend more time talking about the brentford game because it was i think it was it wasn't just the defeat right it was it was the it was the manner of the defeat it was the um the signs that mentally a lot of those players are quite fragile um and they you know when put under pressure they just really did um struggle to 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 respond to it really so i mean yeah not pleasant reading of course but what have you made of those of those opening two games
0: I'm not going to say I'm not gonna say that I, I'm not surprised by losing 4-0 to Brentford. That was yeah, a bit surprising, surprising yeah. but I'm not surprised that they lost that match. Um, Brentford played them off the park in the first half of the, when they met last year. And they just didn't finish their chances. And then United managed to score a few goals in the second half and, and put them away. And then they, they came to Old Trafford in, in May which was a match where Brentford had no, no desire to be playing. They had nothing to play for. They were safe from relegation. They were just going through the motions. And United won 3-0 in a match where United weren't particularly really good. Uh, I was, if Brentford had a plan, I wasn't going to be surprised if United struggled greatly because, like I've, like I've said, United are not a good team. They have massive pulls. They have, they have lots of great players. In very important positions, they have big holes. Where if you don't have the right player there, it brings everybody else down, and that's that's where they are. Brighton, I was was not surprised in the slightest about how that match played out. When Anthony Martial was hurt, you knew Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't going to come into the team, so it was going to be how are they going to line up? um, How are they going to line up up front? I might have done something different. The concern is, like you said, Eric Hag got out coached in both matches. He was, both teams had tactics that were very ready for what Manchester United was going to do. And the big concern was, they didn't make, United didn't make any changes. Like the second half of both matches were closer and better simply because Brighton and Brentford took their foot off the gas. And just let United have the ball and say, here, you can have it. Go on for a little kickabout. We're not scared. You guys can't create any legitimate chances anyway. Uh, the only goal they've scored was an own goal of a corner. Eric Tenog is supposed to be this tracksuit manager who, you know, he's out on the training pitch with the players doing the training with a very clear idea of what he wants to do. And, and he's got all these different tactical ideas. And one of the things that I did do when he was hired was some, someone sent me a few interviews that he had given while at IX And I watched them where he he talked about the tactics and he talked about how you can't just have a way that you want to play. You have to be able to adapt to your opponent. You, and we haven't seen that at all. Uh, United the last Dutch manager was Louis van Gaal, and aside from the boringness, one of the most frustrating things about Van Gaal was he sat there the entire match with that big notebook, and all he did was write things down. He never went to the he never went to the tactical area or anything. He never yelled, and and he was asked about this, and his philosophy is he said, "Well, once the the match starts, there's nothing." that the manager can do anymore it's up to the players the only thing I can do is I can make three substitutions and that's it so me going up there and yelling isn't going to do anything I don't really believe in that I didn't like that but it it basically speaks to like we have our plan and if the plan isn't working well the plan like we have our plan and with 10 it's the old complaint under Solskjaer was there's no patterns of play there's no build-up patterns etc Four minutes into the Brighton match, it was very clear how Ten Hag instructed them to take goal kicks. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put two center backs wide of De Gea, the midfield, the, the fullbacks are going to push up high. Our midfielder is going to drop and he's going to come to the ball. And within a few minutes, Brighton had figured that out. They caused the turnover against Fred and it just kept happening all game and United were struggling because there was no, what else can we do? They did the same thing every time. And Brentford knew that coming in, and they just sat on those tactics. And even Tenog you know spoke about how he was surprised that Brighton just went long rather than building from the back as they usually do. And Brighton were just when they when their goalkeeper had the ball, they were just hoofing long balls. You have to adapt to that. And, And he didn't. He never changed how they were taking goal kicks. He never it just didn't seem like he could adapt to any of the tactical ideas that were being thrown at his side and that's concerning aside from the fact that like he is trying to I I appreciate him trying to implement his style and I understand that by doing that we are going to drop points we are going to lose matches to teams that we should not be losing to it's a long process but you also have players that are very much not even close to capable of playing this style. And there's, there's been no adaptation or anything. It's only two games. So who knows? Maybe he gives them two more games. And by October we're looking back and being like, wow, that player hasn't played since August. Um, and we're now seeing an academy player, and part of the issue is that there's just no senior players that he can drop. There are certain positions where you can't drop anybody because there's no other player that can come into the side. So it's only two games, so you can't make definitive statements on he's not doing, like you know, he's not doing anything. But it, it's been concerning.
2: No, absolutely. I think yeah, you know, when. When it appears as though opposition teams are so well-drilled, so well-prepared for uh, the way in which you're going to try and play. And you know, I, I, I thought the Brentford game in, in particular, yes, you're playing some some players, it's like you know, square pegs and round holes. Certainly Christian Eriksen in the number six was a great example of that, right? And you've got a goalkeeper who's not comfortable playing out of the back as well. Defenders who aren't um, capable of, or comfortable playing in a high line, as we've seen plenty of times with Maguire when he's dragged out wide and that. In those 1v1 situations, it's, it's obviously an uncomfortable thing for him. Uh, he's more used to playing in a sort of dif- deep defensive line. And again, perhaps that's, you know, the reason why some of these players looked looked so much better uh, under Solskjaer, where they could you know, play in that, you know, deep shape and then look to counter. Uh, this is not the way in which Ten Hag will want to play. Um, and already you're sort of seeing people say, you know, should he compromise a little bit? You know, should he be aware? Look, you know, he's not got the players to play that style. But I do look at it from a Liverpool perspective and think, it's just pretty – it's it's so insulting for a manager to come in with a very clear style of play and not, not be given the tools to to play the way in which he wants to play. He's, he's supposed to be in charge of a rebuild, so I understand his frustration here as well. But, I mean, I've seen he, he's been calling for togetherness um, ahead of the, the next game. There's also um, set to be an anti-Glazer protest ahead of the next game as well at Old Trafford. Um just before we get on to the game, actually, um, the, the, just realise that we've gotten uh, almost 40 minutes into the pod, beyond 40 minutes now, and we've not spoken uh, or mentioned the name uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, which is pretty remarkable in terms of he obviously is another <laughs> issue that we're not really discussing here, where clearly a want way player wants to get out of the club, um, seemingly stylistically doesn't suit the way in which you want to play as well yet doesn't have to appear to have many takers i'm guessing he's got some uh, some sizable wage demands uh, on his uh, on his list of uh, of demands in general i mean just just quickly what's your what's your view on the ronaldo situation not long uh, in the window now if you were if you was to go to, to to try and get a replacement in but in in order for this rebuild to work i mean does he does he have to be moved on really
0: it's it's going to be very difficult to make it work if he's still here. Because there's always gonna be that Ronaldo shadow. And there's already reports of him pushing back against Eric Ten Hag and not yeah. being and not liking the pressing and well, can't do it, being upset. That's,
2: that's, that's, that's
0: it's not that he can't do it, it's that he doesn't do it. Yeah. He, he 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 doesn't uh, Ronaldo is one of the most in shape, physical human beings <laughs> on the planet. He could, if if he wanted to exert his energy in a press, he could. He he doesn't see that as um, where he should be spending his energy. He has this belief of my job is to score goals, and he he devotes all of his energy to doing that. Like if you'll notice, he will never shy away from running and closing down a goalkeeper because if a goalkeeper makes an error, it's just a tap. in. But if his job in the press is the ball went out wide, I need to go and close down that, that fullback. Well, if the fullback makes an error, like now I have the ball all the way out wide. It's not an easy goal. It's not worth the effort for him. It's now I'm tired and I'm out wide. um, I need to rely on my teammates to make runs into the box. I'm not in a goal scoring area. You need a selfless player to be able to do that. That's one of the reasons that Roberto Firmino has been so successful at Liverpool is because he is the selfless player that will do the work for his teammates. So there's already pushback from Ronaldo, which makes it difficult in the dressing room when you when you see key players not buying in to the coach, which we didn't have in the preseason. He wasn't there. And all the players were willing to, with a microphone and a camera in their face, speak about how much they were enjoying working with the new manager. And now we're getting reports of Ronaldo isn't happy. And then if you'll notice, it'll the, the writing will say like Cristiano Ronaldo has pushed back about uh he's not happy with the pressing and the and the running and training, and then it'll say some players aren't convinced by Ten Hog's tactics. And it's like Is it some players or are you just saying some players to make it seem like it's more than just Ronaldo and that's going to, and it'll create engagement for you? Because again, the players were willing to put their faces on camera three weeks ago and speak about how much they enjoyed the manager and his new ideas and, and how it was so important that they were all buying in. If Ronaldo stays for a year, it's almost like this year's a wash and that next year becomes year number one, you know, when he leaves, unless they stupidly renew his contract because it does have an option for another year and never put that past Manchester United, especially because Joel Glazer loves his commercial value. If he leaves next year, then it then like next year becomes year number one for Eric Tenhock. But are fans going to look at it like it's year number one? Is the media going to look at it like it's year number one? Is the club going to look at it like it's year number one? So when you go through all these growing pains that you should be going through in year number one of a rebuild and, and a coach implementing new ideas, are everybody is everybody going to be mad and, and start applying the pressure that you should be under in year number two? Because they'll be like, oh, this is his second season. Yeah, it, it it's just if he's if Ronaldo sticks around the entire season and he will because there's nobody that wants him. even even Sporting Lisbon, their coach was like, I don't want him. Uh so like even a team where Ronaldo, which he says he's not even willing to go to because they, they can't pay his wages, but even even teams at that level are saying, No, we don't want you. He's going to be here. It's it's going to make it very, very difficult for Eric Tenog to have long term success.
2: Yeah, I yeah. know. Uh, I'm sorry that it doesn't get any easier in this conversation, uh, Paulie, But um, I'm, I'm going to finally move on to probably the last thing we're going to talk about, uh, just briefly ahead of wrapping up. But it's, you know, uh, after two difficult performances like that, I mean, you're you you're then welcoming a a team that last season beat United nine nil on aggregate. I'm not saying Liverpool are at their high flying best at the moment. I think they've started the season. In, in a disappointing fashion as well. I mean they've they've they have they have they have drawn their opening games uh, and there's been some signs that there are issues still to be worked out, players missing as well, for example. But I mean, in terms of a a a game to have after those two performances, after the after the Brentford defeat as well, um I asked you, I think before we started recording, I mean how you how you viewed it. I mean I'm I'm seeing some United fans looking at it and going, well, you know, they they, they need to show some fight. This is an opportunity, you know. We're we're at Old Trafford against Liverpool. If we can't get ourselves up for this, what can we, you know? What can we do? What can we expect of these players? And on the other side, people saying, "Look, you know, we can't really open up in a game like this because we risk, you know, being punished, you know, being being pressed like we were against Brentford by a side who can do it to a higher level as well." So, I'm interested to sort of hear which side you come down on. And I mean, based on based on everything you've just you've just said to me. I mean, how how do you think Aaron, Eric Ten Hag goes about approaching this game, you know, knowing the risks that are involved?
0: That's a really good question because he has been stubborn so far and this is the way I want to play. And it's a question of how pragmatic are you going to be? Um, are you going to sit there and say, you know what, our best opportunity in this game is to uh, do basically what United did two and three seasons ago stay very organized stay compact try to hit liverpool on the counter you just said it when you said go out there and show some fight and it's like what does that mean because like hannibal Medbury came on at enfield last season yeah and
2: you just kicked you know, a bunch united of united <laughs>
0: fans yeah and united fans loved him they were like oh this is great oh you know he he at least showed like he cared Whereas uh, I think it was Andre Mariner was the referee who basically yeah. at the end, basically he he committed the foul and Andre Mariner was kind of like, I'm going to give you a break here, kid, uh, but you should be sent off for this because you've done already two or three fouls. And that last one, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a yellow, but if this, if you weren't, if this wasn't like your debut, essentially you'd be gone. Uh, like, and what, I mean, what, what did Medge breed what was the first thing he did was he gave the ball away and Liverpool scored a goal and okay but then he went and kicked a bunch of people is that what showing some fight is because that just sounds like will foul a bunch of, liver of players and lose the match um but hey at least at least they stuck one in on them so yeah it's it, i think they have to stay compact i think Anthony Martial should be back um which if if uh Ten Hag goes with Martial over over Ronaldo that will give them a better defensive structure there's United fans love to hate on Martial and call him lazy he happens to be very very good at keeping defensive structure when you ask him to, to put in a shift and and do the defensive work uh, especially when you know you're going to be playing out when he knows he's going to be playing on the counter and that's 80% of of my time today is going to be spent defending and playing without the ball he happens to be very good at that. Do they have the other pieces in the other positions to make that happen? Um, I'm not sure. But mostly, here's my concern. I'm going to ask you two questions. Is Diogo Jota fit? He's not, no. Okay. What about Roberto Fellini?
2: He's fully fit.
0: So there's my concern <laughs> is that Liverpool have been. Struggling this season, poor start. They are also adapting to Darwin Nunez, who is a completely different striker than Firmino. And when they use Jota as as the striker, completely different. That's going. There's going to be growing pains in, into that as as Luis Diaz and Mohamed Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold and and everybody. Adjust to well, we're playing a little bit of a different style. Well, Darwin is not playing in this match, he is suspended, which means, in all likelihood, Bobby Firmino comes back into the team, and that means it's hey, this is what we're used to, this is what we know, this is what we did when we were really good, and maybe that's not going to work over the course of a full season anymore, which is why we. Got Darwin Nunez, but for one game early in the season, we can absolutely do this. And yeah, Luis Diaz is slightly different than Sadio Mane is, but you're about to go back to like the thing that Liverpool did when they were really good. That Liverpool struggling right now doesn't really make me any more optimistic about this match because, because of what I just said, that it just seems like it's going to be a, a long, long night at Old Trafford that really leaves, uh, like, it, it'll be, it's probably going to seem like if Liverpool don't score more than whatever amount they score, it'll be because they decided not to score more.
2: Yeah, no, it seemed, it's, it's only seemed that way last last season on both on both games, the Anfield game and and the game at Old Trafford, there just seemed to be a point where, yeah, the team the team begins to rest, right? Because I think I think it certainly became apparent last season. That I, I think that those Liverpool sides who showed up just realised that United actually weren't capable of laying a glove on them. So yeah, just control the game, just just you know just play possession football. Don't exert yourselves too much. Don't you know, don't risk injury, and that's yes, yeah, obviously a terrible place to get to for for a game like this, a rivalry like this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued to see. I mean, it's, it's a very difficult situation. I, I I, would not want to be in Eric Ten Hag's position approaching a game like this, thinking about how am I going to deal with it. It's, uh, yeah, it's a difficult one. And actually the run-in, just, just looking at the run it doesn't, t- doesn't necessarily get that much easier. I mean, yes, Southampton ha- ha- had their own struggles, but the one thing you know about a Ralph Hassan-Hutel side is they're going to be, you know, they're going to press, they're going to try and press, uh, and it, they can do that effectively at times then you've got Leicester. Man, perhaps there's a an option there not too not too keen on them then you've got arsenal then crystal palace then Leeds and city so it's a tough the tough opening run for for united so it's um
0: you there's there's 20 teams in the premier league and 19 of them can beat manchester united right now <laughs> there's not a single team that if we were playing them at any time I'd be like oh there's no chance they lose this match
2: no yeah it's so uh, it's 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 obviously a very difficult it's been a difficult start so I'm yeah um I mean I don't I don't tend to get, I don't, I don't tend to get that tribal on this pod to be honest but I'm um, obviously for a a Liverpool win on Monday but I'm I'm more sort of like perversely fascinated by how Eric ten Hag is is going to approach this because it really does seem like he has not been given the tools to succeed at the moment so maybe it's going to be incredibly busy uh, last ten days or so of this window, uh, with with certain names coming through that perhaps I haven't even been um, linked yet in the papers. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one for sure. But um, Paulia, I am going to wrap up there anyway. Thank you so much for for all the insight you, that you've given us there. I think it's it's clear from from your passion as well that you know this is this is a painful it's a painful period. It's been a, it's been a painful period, especially when you you, know, you you can see problems that appear obvious and they're not being tackled. So yeah, I appreciate you. You know, putting yourself through that again to to go through in detail what's um what's been going on at United.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to come on and yeah, it's painful, but like at at this point, I'm, I'm almost, i have almost you have to for your own sanity is almost separate yourself from this and of at this if you're not crying or if you don't laugh at the whole situation right now, you'll cry and you'll you'll drive yourself insane, and and that's that's where I'm at right now it's it's as a fan it's uh it's disappointing because like I've been able to strip some emotion out of it in that so the lows don't get me down but the highs aren't as enjoyable either and it's just so different from where I was two seasons ago where um when we, you know, when we lost a match, uh, you know, I was so down after that Europa League final, the four-two match against Liverpool, losing that, uh, even though we were in second place and had this Europa League final to look forward to, I was, that that killed me. You know, that was, the highs of that season were so high, the lows were so crushing, and now we're just at this point here where it's like all you could do is sit back and laugh. Yeah, and it's it's that's not
2: a nice. Position to be, and obviously, I mean, when you're when you're heading into a game like United Liverpool at home, the last thing you want to have to do is think. Well, I'm going to have to remove my emotion from this game because yeah, I can't, I can't expect too much. So it's um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a mess at the moment, and uh, I'm intrigued to see sort of how how things unfold and how th- how a talented manager you know looks to to try and deal with you know some, some what seem like insurmountable problems, but. To all those who've been listening, um, on this uh, third episode of the season of, of, of Rival Recon, uh, yeah, a, underwhelming start to the Premier League season for Liverpool. Obviously, you know, two draws, uh, you know, iffy performances, some some questions around the midfield uh, composition. Obviously, Darwin Nunez uh, reminding us all that at times Uruguayan players can can sometimes. Uh, um sort of skirt, the, skirt over the lines in terms of the rules with, with that headbutt in the last game. But we'll be back again, uh hopefully talking about a more positive result on Monday. Uh, and looking ahead to um the, the upcoming game against Bournemouth. Um surely it's going to be a sort of a slightly easier one to talk about perhaps. But uh yeah Scott Parker's arrival um as uh as, as Bournemouth manager, I'm sure there'll be a uh pretty stubborn tactical plan in there. So join us again for that episode ahead of the Bournemouth game. But between now and then Do check out all the other great content on Anfield Index Pro. Uh, And and, and until then, uh, yeah, uh, let's hope for a positive result on Monday.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community.